This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. I remember watching my dad when I was five, six years old. It was a cold November Tuesday. It was an election day. I remember my dad taking me with him to the fire hall in Conneautville where they'd set up the election stations. I remember my dad receiving the punch card. I remember my dad going back behind the curtain. I was with him, the sound of the big curtain going I remember my dad standing in front of this giant metal box and flipping toggles. And I remember my dad having the card. And I remember the sound of the big bar coming down, crunch, as it punched his choice. His choice is how he envisioned kingdom should be moving forward. I remember sitting, needing to vote in the presidential election between Obama and Romney and not knowing what to choose. I struggled. How do I choose? And in that moment, kingdom moment, saying, God, I just need you to do it for me. And so I mustered up the biblical practice of casting lots. This is God, whoever you pick, that's the one I'll choose. Right now, the midterms are upon us, and with it, a whole cacophony of ads on the TV, all boasting and slandering and attacking and putting forth their version of kingdom. Don't pick that guy. He's a jerk. You want my version of kingdom. Don't pick that woman. She's a snot. Pick my version of kingdom. And thinking to myself, these ads are terrible. But more than midterms, More than once every four years, on a daily basis, Jesus comes to you and he says, I need you to choose a kingdom. As your feet hit the ground, Paul, I need you to choose a kingdom. I need you to vote right now. What version of kingdom do you want? We began a series last week going through the Lord's Prayer. On a large scale, it's part of three foundational pillars that I've been teaching through this year. It started with going through the creed, historically a foundational gathering of theological statements that anchor me in God's reality. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's not to say that there aren't things that I believe in addition to that and hold very, very important to me. But these are foundational. These are pillar. These are central to building a life on Jesus Christ. A house on a rock. The church has practiced and proclaimed that in different variations for 2,000 years. Another central gathering, essential piece is the Ten Commandments. And in this fall, we'll walk through the Ten Commandments. You're like, well, we're not Jewish. Still wrong to murder. <laughs> we don't lie. Still not a good idea. Honor your father and mother. One God. That's plenty. These are how we live. A way of life. An ethic. A path. Jesus says, I'm the truth. I'm the way and the life taught truth, uh, teach way. We're right now in the series about life, life of prayer, his prayer. And we began last week, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I challenged you to pray that daily. Some of you have been and have been for a long time. That's okay. And I pray that the, the conversation helped uh, alive in that phrase. I encourage you to share that with a prayer partner. To anchor your day in the character of God. And to begin reading parts of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to come back to that. So in your notes, just to remind ourselves, let's fill in that first line. If you're watching online, hello. You can write this down. Um, make sure you check in with hosts. They'd love to be able to say hi and welcome you uh, to the gathering. But yeah, well, how does that prayer begin? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I begin my day, I awaken to the morning, I anchor myself in the very character of God, who is the source of life, who is over all and in law, in all, and may my life glorify him in all that I do. Hallowed be your name. When the prayer continues, your kingdom come, let's write this down, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Write that down. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what does that mean this morning? Let's unpack it together. Kingdom, kingdom. When the Bible talks about kingdom, it's talking about four things that come together. And there's space in your notes if you want to write these things down. But if any parts of this are missing, then you do not have kingdom. In the Bible, kingdom is four things. It is a king with his people in a place under a law. Those four things. It is a king with his people in a place under the law. If you take one of those out, you don't have kingdom. Can you have kingdom without a king? No. Can you have a kingdom without people? No. 
How about no place? Just wandering around. Nope, not a kingdom. You'd be able to point to it and say, that's where it is. It's there. That kingdom is there in that space. And there must be a law. A governing understanding of what is right and what is wrong. This comes together in its highest form in the Bible as you look at the kingship of David and Solomon, who God used to establish his people. Israel's first king was a nightmare. He was the popular vote. He's the one that everybody wanted. We want Saul. He's tall and he's handsome and he will lead us. And it was a nightmare. A nightmare. Behind all that, God comes along and picks a young man named David. I said, David's my king. He is a man after my own heart. I will establish his kingship and his rule. So that's what we see David doing. As David, gathering God's people, establishes the place of Israel, as none has never been done before, under the law of God, and then bequeaths this to his son, Solomon, who ushers in what they call the golden era of Israel. Israel becomes a geopolitical center. Nations come to little Israel because it is a place where God's king is ruling God's people in God's place with God's law. And it thrives. And does it last? No, it does not last. But it is kingdom. So to pray kingdom is to begin seeing that there is a place where kingdom is and a place where the kingdom is not. That I can be in a place of God's kingdom and I can be outside the place of God's kingdom the same way if you were in the United States and you went to another part of the world into another sovereign kingdom, you would notice differences probably very quickly. Probably very quickly. Elizabeth Nyamanyaro was a senior advisor to the UN, a wonderful humanitarian. She works to help orphans, children, uh, gender equality, uh, speak on behalf of the human race. In a memoir, I Am a Girl from Africa, a great book. Uh, she writes about the tension and the collision of kingdoms. Uh, she, at the age of eight, was in the middle of a great drought in her town. Water was gone. Food was gone. She was scavenging wherever she could. Collapses underneath a tree. Hadn't drinking water in days. And is awoken to a UN worker who gives her water, who gives her food. A memory that seals inside of her mind so much so that she says, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I'm going to work for the UN. I want to help people. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And so... She begins that journey. And in her memoir, she talks about what it was like when she left Zimbabwe for the first time and flew into London. Talk about the collision of kingdoms. I want to read just a little bit for you what that experience was like going from one kingdom into another. These are her words. I quickly learned how to move through the flow of fast-moving people and begin to take in all the sights I have been so curious to see for so long. And there is much to see. As I make my way toward the youth hostel where I'll be staying, I stare at the perfectly manicured garden squares surrounded by Victorian stucco terrace homes, the likes of which I've only ever seen on television, in British sitcoms and news stories. I almost pinch myself. Yes, you're actually here. 
when the red double-decker buses and black cabs roar past me so quickly that I cannot even get a good look at the passengers inside. Through the spotless windows of fancy-looking shops, I see mannequins in nicely tailored gray suits, black dresses. I stop and look for a few moments at the breathtaking Kensington Gardens, blooming with flowers in pink and yellow and blue, colors as vivid as the African prints we wear at home. How I wish my go-go, this is her grandmother mother, could experience everything alongside of me. When I pass a red phone booth, I wish I had a phone that I had money to call her, telling her, I am here, I made it. I imagine saying to her, when I think about how proud she would be seeing me here, I feel as joyous as a child. And then I realize I'm completely lost. And for the first time, to, not for the first time today, on the tube from Heathrow Airport, I missed my exchange stop at Gloucester Road Station, and I had to take the train in the wrong direction from South Kensington, forcing me to backtrack. And now I can't find the street I'm looking for. No problem, I think. I'll just ask for directions. Good morning, sir, I say as cheerfully as possible, and in my most polished British accent, as I approach a well-dressed British man walking towards me, might you please, and he walks, avoiding eye contact, and steps out of the way. He says, sorry, as he zooms past. I try again when I see a woman walking in my direction. Excuse me, madam. I'm grinning from ear to ear. I'm trying to find, the British woman cuts me off. I'm terribly sorry she says, and she walks briskly by. I'm stunned by these encounters, as if I've been slapped. I start to feel self-conscious and even a touch frightened. What did I do to prompt such a dismissive reaction? Why wouldn't they try to help me or even let me finish asking a question? I'm mystified, and my confusion triggers insecurity. Maybe it's the way I look or, or sound. Is it because I'm wearing a sundress in the rain? Can they not understand my African accent? My yellow dress is now soaking wet. I can't find the street I'm looking for. Suddenly tears sting my eyes. Seconds ago, I was full of curiosity and excitement, but now I'm in a mood as grim as the weather. The rain, no longer a light mist, falls relentlessly from a sky the color of concrete. This greatly anticipated moment of arrival is beginning to lose its magic. Each step in my tight shoes is painful. Cold clings to me like Velcro. As my excitement fades, doubt and fatigue fall on me as heavily as the rain. How will I survive in London long enough to work for the United Nations if nobody will even stop for three seconds to help me find my way? I miss home. She goes on to talk about how completely different that is from her home. Even if it was a stranger, you always stop to say hi. If they asked a question, you always stop to answer. And you always concluded the conversation, however long it might be, with God bless you. And here she experiences a collision of kingdoms. To pray your kingdom is to recognize we are constantly at a collision of kingdoms and we miss home. That there are places where I can be in kingdom and places where I can be out. 
means I can gather together with brothers and sisters and we can sing and we can proclaim and we can come under our king and in 15 minutes step into hell on earth. And so we pray your kingdom. We pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which introduces us to an interesting theological question. And some that people go back and forth and entire denominations and religious systems spur up over this and put down their flags of theological victory. Does God always get his way? Isn't God's will always done? And some would say yes. And some put forth big books and and systems about, yes, God's will is always done. No matter what. Whether you like it or not, that's because your view is lower than his. But God wanted that to happen. It was God's will that that happened. I think scripture is a little bit more nuanced than that. It's really, really dangerous to put God in a box. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it's not God's will that any would perish, but that all would have everlasting eternal life. And some will argue around, well, any and all in that passage means something else. It doesn't mean what it sounds like. I'm like, well, why can't it just mean what it says? When it says it's not his will that any but all, let's just take that at face value. But don't we know that there are many who step in too? eternity outside of his everlasting life. We do. We do. And so we struggle with what is God's will and what is not God's will. TV show that we watch. Now, I only can handle watching one TV show at a time. I can only do one. And we kind of hit that and hit it hard, like good binge watchers should. While we were watching Chicago Med. We're like in season four. Like the drama's right where I can handle it. I can easily walk away. Not my circus, not my monkey. In the scene, a pregnant mom is brought into the emergency room, and the situation was dire that either uh, the baby was going to die or they were both going to die. They said, This birth isn't viable. This, this baby isn't viable. This fetus isn't viable. Uh, we need to be able to save your life. And she's like, no, no. I have prayed for 12 years to God that he would make me pregnant. I'm not killing this baby. You will die. She's like, no, I believe that God won't take my baby away from me. Well, those of you who aren't just watchers of this show, but watchers of reality, you know how that story goes, right? Some of you have experienced it. And the baby died. And you begin wrestling with the question, is that, was that God's will? Did God want that to happen? Jesus welcomes the prayer, your will be done. So how do we wrestle with that? It says this in Psalm 115, verse 16. For the heavens are the Lord's, but earth he's given to man. What does that mean in the context of Scripture? Because also in the Psalms, they say that both earth and the heavens are Lord's. 
Heaven's the Lord's, earth he's given to man. Meaning that there's a delegated sovereignty that we've been entrusted with as his image bearers. Really, that's what it means to be his imager. Here, you're to take care of this. This is your stewardship. This is your trust. Own it. Nurture it. Care for it. I have given this to you. In the same way a parent might say to a child, this is your room. Keep it clean. Here, here's your car. Take care of it. There's a delegated sovereignty where we jointly participate with God in bringing about kingdom come, will be done. All right, where I go through life saying, hey, you know what this is missing? This is missing the good king. This is missing Jesus. This situation is missing God's people. This situation is not God's place. We're going to make it God's place. Oh, this situation is missing the law. Let's bring God's law and God's word into this. As imagers of God, your kingdom come, your will be done. That means I also recognize that with the delegated sovereignty, there's a delegated choice. Just like elections and midterms, I must choose his kingdom. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom come, not my will be done. Growing in that prayer is growing in recognition of that question. Which kingdom will I choose? Your kingdom come. To notice where it's not and to bring the change needed. In the same way that Elizabeth in her book writes about, hey, in Zimbabwe, it was this experience. I get to London and they're like this. I know what it means to walk in the light of God's kingdom and to walk in light of Jesus Christ and to walk in light of his law. And I step into a place and I'm like, That's, this is not God's kingdom. I will bring God's kingdom. I will be a participant in his kingdom to come. So would you know it if you saw it? Would you know it if you saw him? If God's kingdom come, would you know it if you saw it? Well, depending on how you understand that question is probably how you vote every four years. Why you spend the way that you spend why you do the way that you do, you have a picture of kingdom and what you think Jesus' kingdom is. But this is how Jesus describes it. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, he introduces kingdom this way. He says, this is what it's going to look like. This is how you'll bump into it. Let me just share some of these qualities with you. In Mark 1, the beginning of the gospel of Mark, verses 14 through 15, Jesus describes kingdom this way. So now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. The good news is the declaration of kingdom saying, the time's fulfilled. Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe the gospel. Meaning what? Kingdom is now and it's near. It's now and it's near. So kingdom isn't just some foregone, forlorn, distant future reality where we're waiting for Jesus to come back. That's not what this prayer is about because Jesus says emphatically, hey, when you think about kingdom, it's a now thing. It's a near thing. I bumped into it this morning. I bumped into it here with you. Here with you. What are we? 
are God's people underneath God's king and God's place. It's God's law. It's a now and it's a near thing. But there's something else. If you just if you're in Mark one, just go over to Mark four. Here's it. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying real hard, girl. I know. I know. I don't like his voice. <laughs> Mommy, I like your kingdom better. <laughs> oh, you're oh, you're good. Mark four. Mark four in uh, verses thirty-one through thirty-two. Mark four thirty-one through thirty-two. This is what the kingdom's like, he says. It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it's sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. He's talking about the kingdom. You want to know what the kingdom's like? Yeah, it's, it's now and it's near, but small. It needs to be sown. It needs to grow. Sown where? In the heart. Small seed. It's going to be a small thing. It's not going to be majestic. It's not going to be mighty. Not yet. It's a small thing right now. But when it's sown and it's grown, it'll protect and it will cover. The kingdom is now. It's not yet. Not yet meaning there's a gap we're still waiting for. Let me explain not yet. June 6th, 1944. Who knows what that date is? June 6th. 1944. Where are my history buffs at? What's that? D-Day. Yeah, D-Day. Allied forces take the beaches of Normandy, the beginning of the initiative that brings about the toppling of the Third Reich. Okay? D-Day. Compare that to May 8th, 1945. Today. Which is what? 1945 would be V-E Day, victory in Europe, where the Allied forces recognized the unconditional surrender of Hitler and the Third Reich. What started on D-Day culminated on V-E Day. Jesus' kingdom, his birth, his life, his sacrifice, D-Day. This is the beginning of the turn. This is the beginning of victory now moving through. We're going to topple the forces of sin and death. We are waiting for, looking towards V-E Day. Kingdom come in its full. Kingdom come in its completeness. So I need to remember when I think about kingdom, his kingdom come, his will be done. It's not going to be like anything that I've seen on earth because it's heaven coming to earth. Like his birth, his birth. Where did the magi go when they were looking for the new king? Where you would go to find the new king. Where would you go? You go to the capital of the city. You go to where the big buildings are and the majestic temple is. Well, the pomp and circumstance and where the, the center of power is, that's where you go. You want to see the new king in the kingdom, you go to that place. And they show up, they're like, hey, where's the new king at? But when heaven comes to earth, where did it come? A small backwater town and a very small cave 
to two people that nobody knew. It's now and it's near but small. Look at his sacrifice. Look at his death. He died crucified like thousands of people underneath the Roman Empire. Jesus was not the only one. He wasn't even one of three. He was one of thousands. An unknown carpenter from an unknown town. Small. And yet this is how heaven comes to earth and brings kingdom. So much so that when Jesus is praying in the garden, you see an amazing parallel and overlap between how Jesus prays and how Jesus taught us to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, our Father. You get to the garden and you read in Matthew 26, verses 39 and 42. My Father, not my will, but your will be done. And that looks like smallness. It appears to be weakness. It's the difference between God the Father and the Godfather. You seen the movie The Godfather? Some consider it one of the greatest cinematic presentations of all time. It's, in essence, the transformation of Michael Corleone from the war hero into the dawn of the mafia in New York City. It is his transformation where he goes from this into the head of the mafia, culminating in the last scene of the movie, just a powerful, powerful juxtaposition. As he is brought forth to be the godfather of his godchild. And so you see him in this majestic cathedral as this infant is brought next to the baptismal font and the priest begins the rite of baptism. And if you don't understand what that relationship looks like, the godfather speaks on behalf of the child. So when the priest asks the child, do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? It's Michael who says, I believe. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son? Michael says, I believe. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church? Michael responds, I believe. But while this is happening in the movie, you see compared to this as all of Michael's button men are going across the New York City killing all of his competition. They're murdering men in stairwells and they're murdering men in elevators and they're shooting them on steps. As Michael is asked, do you renounce Satan? I renounce Satan. As he covers New York City in blood and it sets himself as the seat of full, complete, un unattested to power. This is what kingdom looks like on earth. It's mine. I take it if I want it. Don't you dare try to take it away. That's the Godfather. But God the Father? How does kingdom come from heaven to earth? He too says, I will step into your place. But I will bleed for you. I will sacrifice for you. I will lay down my life for you. 
That's how my will will be done. That's how my kingdom will come. So you put Michael Corleone, the, the picture of power and rich and wealth, tough guy, on one election poster. You put Jesus on the other election poster, a nobody from Nazareth, a blue-collar carpenter who never went more than 50 miles away from the place he was born. Which one are you going to pick? Dude, I picked this guy. Well, everyone's going to pick this guy. Jesus is the long shot. Unless you watch the Kentucky Derby this week. Have you guys watched the Kentucky Derby this week? Have you guys watched it? You were there, weren't you? Yeah. I want a hat. Could you give me a hat? This is amazing. We watched the Kentucky Derby growing up because it's always my grandfather's birthday. And I just thought we all got together to celebrate my grandfather's birthday. Everyone's dressing up for my grandfather. Actually, it had to do with, what do they call it? It's the two most exciting minutes in sports, right? Right? 20 horses. 20 horses line up. They're off. And everyone is cheering and everyone's going at it. And this is an amazing thing, right? And you're watching the video and you're watching the video. What's the camera? The camera's always fixed on what? The front. And the commentator, he's cheering, he's cheering. He's calling him as this one moves up. He's calling as this one moves up. Goes around the first bend, comes along the backstretch. Oh, here's Epicenter, here's Epicenter. Great names for horses. We should name our kids the way they name horses. <laughs> Great names for horses. And they come around the last curve, the last stretch. And everyone's just like, they got money on, they got money on, they got money on. Oh, this bet's 10 to one. This horse is 20 to one. This horse is eight to one. And if you don't know what to look for, because you have to watch the video a few times to catch it, there's another horse that's in the complete back that starts to make its way through the entire pack. And the commentator's like, it's epicenter, it's epicenter, it's epicenter. We're like 20 yards away from the line till all of a sudden this other horse that no one knew anything about takes the whole thing. And everyone is screaming, because this is like the American dream, right? Unless you bet against the horse. But everyone wants the, 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 the underdog. Everyone wants that horse to win. And you're like, this is amazing. What was the name of the horse? Was it Rich Strike? Yeah. The horse was a late entry because another horse was stricken from the docket. So it moved in to race. In fact, if you look at the opening shot as they come out of the gate, that horse is like behind everybody else. It's a long shot. In fact, the commentary said, it's the greatest long shot to win the Kentucky Derby. The second greatest long shot, long shot in the whole history of the race. 80 to 1 were the odds for this horse. Meaning if you put $2 down on this horse, you walked away with $160. No one saw that one coming. All the world looks to the Michael Corleones. All the world looks to power. All the world looks to might. All the world looks to force and bigness. And they look at Jesus' kingdom and say, that's a long shot. But I've found that's a sure bet. Every time. Every time. So how? How? 
do I pray this and participate in this? We get in the habit of thinking that Jesus' disciples said, teach us how to pray. But that's not what they said. If you go back to Luke 11, teach us to pray. I mean, think about the difference. Think about, think about the difference of those two statements between teach us to pray versus teach us how to pray. I went to the library this last week. I love going to the library. I love getting books. I love books. I love reading books. The difference between teach me how to parent versus teach me to be a good parent. You understand the difference? Teach me how to eat better. Teach me how to prepare better meals is a whole lot different than teach me to eat better. Right? The question, teach me how to pray? Give me the formula. Give me the words. Give me the jargon. Versus teach me to build my life around this habit. Teach me to actually do it. Last week, I gave you a shape. We're going to add that shape to kind of give you a, a, a visual. Last week, we added, we began with character at the top of the hexagon. This week, let's add the word kingdom coming down the right side. Character, kingdom. There's six parts to this prayer. And in answer to Jesus' question, he gives them this prayer. So we're going to do that. We're going to begin by filling our heart and our minds with these words to begin to see character, to begin to see kingdom. God, help me choose kingdom. So as I said last week, we're not going to take that away. Uh, let's pray this every day. There's even a place in the back of your notes. You can check the box. I, did, I prayed the Lord's prayer. I prayed the Lord's prayer. I said, hey, bring yourself, give yourself a prayer partner so that you can go back and forth with. Hey, hey, I prayed the Lord's prayer. Hey, I prayed the Lord's prayer. Um, I told you I'm happy to be your prayer partner if you need one. Um, FYI, I do this at four in the morning. So just meet me at four in the morning and we'll do it together. Okay? Yeah. Or you can find your own. You can find your own. Pray it every morning. Get the words in there. And I've also asked that you read another part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Beatitudes, the first the first few verses, but also sections from, from Matthew chapter 7. Through the course of this series, we're going to go through the whole Sermon on the Mount together. Because uh, that is his kingdom in written form. That's what it looks like. You see the morning receiving the kingdom. You see those who are pure in heart. You see those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So let's keep doing that. But beyond that, to teach me, I need him to help me see it. I need to see it. Meaning, God, as I look at our gathering, let's just use this as an example. God, help me see this as your kingdom come. A place where your people are gathering underneath your king. In a place. Under your law. Like life group. Maybe it's a ministry team. God, help me to see that as I'm praying that. My home. Do I see that as kingdom space? Kingdom territory. A place where your kingdom come, your will be done. 
God, help me to see that. And where there's a collision, help me usher it in, in the way Jesus brought kingdom heaven to earth. Not out of power, not out of screaming, not out of rage, not out of force, out of love and sacrifice and kindness and gentleness. But maybe you don't feel your influence is even that big. And God, help me see me where I am as an individual kingdom space. I will live today underneath you, Lord Jesus, in light of your law. Wherever I step, I'm going to make that kingdom space. Whoever I bump into, Lord Jesus, I'm going to make that kingdom space. Help me to see it. Elizabeth, towards the end of her book, talks about the African philosophy of Ubuntu. Ubuntu basically means I am because we are. It stresses the shared humanity that we have, that I am this because we are this. I am because we are. I think we can flip that. We are this because of what I am is. I am the beautiful name of God. Because I am is love and grace and kindness. We are and we will be a kingdom people of love and goodness and kindness. We will bring kingdom come and will be done. And while everybody else is placing their bets on other kingdoms, we know a sure bet when we see it. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.